And as Joel said, we just want to really uh, connect our worship time and being able to sing our hearts, our praise to God and everything God's speaking to us. We want to connect that to the Word of God and to being able to hear from God as He speaks to us in worship. He also speaks to us through His wit- written Word. And this morning I'm going to be sharing my name's Joe Crumley, one of the leaders here. And uh, last week Brent started us out on the book of Matthew, and uh, we're going to continue things there. Uh, last week, uh, Gary, Kevin, and I were in Ontario for a few days to meet with other uh, leaders from different churches that we're in partnership with, and so we were with Jeremy and Ann Simpkins from the UK, who were with us back in April, so they send their greetings, and last week I was able to speak at a church plant in Kitchener-Waterloo, and that's where Aaron and Christina Moss from our church just recently moved, so we had uh, lunch with them, and in the evening, uh, before I came back, I had supper with Roger and Claire, who just moved from our church to Toronto, so I felt it was a very uh, kind of New Testament uh, journey to be able to see those who were with us who have been sent out. And also, speaking of Ontario, uh, this morning we have Jim and Mary DeMarsh with us. So Jim and Mary, welcome. They're from Milton. And uh, Lily, yeah, you can give a round of applause and greetings. So Jim and Mary uh, lead Milton Bible Church, a great church in Milton, which is, I think, maybe the fastest growing community population-wise in Canada. And so uh, Don Smith, who's helped us over the years, Don was with Jim and Mary for two weeks back in April, and we'll be visiting them again in the new year. So it's great just to build friendship and partnership with other churches. So we welcome them here this morning. All right. Well, as I said, Brent uh, started us off last week from the book of Matthew, and really explaining how the book of Matthew is really uh, not just sort of um, telling a story, it's declaring truth. And it declares this whole thing about Jesus coming as king. And uh, when I prepared this sermon series like a year ago, which isn't quite true, um, I gave Brent the uh, genealogy so that he could pronounce all those names uh, so that I didn't have to do it. So way to go, uh, Brent, in doing that. And uh, him proving the point as he went through that, how Matthew's declaring that Jesus really is a king. And the whole thing about Jesus coming, it's a big deal. It's a life-changing, history-changing, altering thing. That Jesus has come as king. And he comes from a royal line, and the whole thing is that the king has come, and Matthew declares that. And we're going to pick up that story again today. And probably, uh, for most people, a very familiar passage that usually isn't read outside of about December 23rd to about December 25th. So it's going to seem a little strange to read this passage without uh, Christmas trees and decorations and uh, carols running through our head. So we'll see if we can do that. Okay, so this is Matthew chapter 1. Uh, the end of the chapter, and we read this. Matthew says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So they were engaged, which was quite a legal binding thing in that day. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. So there we have that royal line again. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. So referring back to Isaiah in chapter 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, 
He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So folks, in like seven verses, okay, the biggest thing ever on planet Earth took place. Okay, and we have to make sure that when we read this, sometimes we can read it quite uh, in a very sentimental way uh, when we're in the Christmas season. So it's good sometimes to read these ones outside of the month of December when we don't have some of those things that can be good but can also be sometimes a distraction. And this morning I just want to paint the picture, okay, a big picture of what Matthew has recorded here. And sometimes we can lose the magnitude of what's taking place. Okay, so I just want to paint the picture. So this morning's a little bit of a different message. Okay, so I'm not going to have as much... PowerPoint with all my points, which you know I love and a bit anal, and I can do three points about almost anything on planet Earth, okay? (laughs) But this morning, we want to start, and as we look at this whole thing of Jesus being Emmanuel, God with us, okay? We want to start back at the beginning, and we want to begin to understand this whole aspect of what the Bible talks about from the first book in Genesis to the last book in the book of Revelation, this whole thing about God This, in a sense, almost mysterious, you know, uncreated being. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one, the Godhead. We can't even really comprehend, but we try to from His Word and what He's revealed to us. That God who didn't need anything, who was satisfied in relationship, in community, in love, in holiness, in purity, in purpose, in everything, before the world ever created. God created the heavens and the earth. And God created man and woman, not because he needed anything, because he wanted to express and share the love that he had within the Godhead. And he created Adam and Eve in his image, male and female. And he placed them in a garden, a beautiful paradise. So if you think, we think, man, beautiful paradise, we want to go down south to beautiful paradise. So we think Bahamas, Bermuda, somewhere... And we're just thinking, I just want it warm, and I want food, and buffet, and smorgasbord, and I don't have to do a thing. Okay, all right. Now, now that I've lost you, as you're off into dreamland, that painted a pretty good picture, didn't it? It's a good thing it is December. You'd all be leaving right now. And God placed them in paradise. Whatever we can imagine that is, it was really good. That wasn't even the best thing. The best thing was this. It says they actually got to walk with God. Can you imagine what it is to be in paradise? In the cool of the day, God came and he walked with Adam and Eve in perfect relationship, perfect harmony, unashamed, no fear, perfect love and community. And we get from that, the whole story of the Bible is this. God wants to presence himself with his people, with his creation. Now, very quickly, we get in the story, Satan came along, who wanted to, when he was with God in heaven, wanted to rob and take things away from God and wanted worship to himself, and he broke that harmony that he had with God, and he came and he tempted Adam and Eve, and he lied to them, and he said, if you know, God said, don't eat from this, that's the only thing I don't want you to do, and Satan came along and said, you know what, if you like eat that, God's holding out on you. If you eat that, you'll be like God. 
which was a complete lie, because guess what? They were already like God. They were made in God's image. And of course, they ate the fruit, okay, and they had now knowledge of good and evil, and they felt ashamed, and they hid from God. And that started the whole story. But right in Genesis 3, God begins to speak and to prophesy and to show that one day, okay, they were kicked out of the garden, angels there, fire, everything, paradise lost, they were cursed, okay, there's consequences when we sin. But God spoke and he said, one day, okay, I'm sending a savior, he's going to come, he's going to redeem and restore things. And so out of their rebellion, they lost, this is the biggest thing, not only did they lose paradise and they had to work hard now from the soil and all those different things. The biggest thing they lost was this. There was now a barricade, a partition that separated them from God. And now they went their own way. And folks, we're only six chapters into Genesis, okay? And God's like, why did he even create this? And we have Noah and the flood and all these things. Okay, but we pick up the story in chapter 12 of Genesis. And God, again, in his mercy, in his grace, he picks a guy named Abram, who's nobody, God in the sovereignty picked him. And he said to Abram, I'm making you lots of promises. Okay? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless you, and out of you, you're going to bless the nations. And Abraham's like, Woo, I believe it. And God was like, oh, that's really good. That's what I want. I love it when people believe my word. Okay? And it was credit to him as righteousness. And again, God made more promises. He said, you know, see the stars, the sand, the seashore. So your descendants will be, okay, more than that. And Abraham's like, that's great, but God, I'm like 75, and I'm old, and we've never had any kids. And he believed God. And time kept going, and he believed God. And he believed God. And God blessed him. And it says this about Abraham. It says that Abraham was a friend of God. I don't know what you want written on your tombstone at the end. That would be a good one to have. Abraham, here. Friend of God. And God blessed him. Okay? And he picked Abraham and from his descendants, okay, we see a people group that became the Jewish people, Israelites. And we see how God, even through all that, they went into captivity. Remember, Joseph went there and then his people came in the famine and they became Egypt and they flourished. And then there were 400 years in Egypt and slavery. And what does God do? He sends and he raises up another chosen one called Moses. And with Moses, he's a special child, and God raised him up, sent him out to the wilderness for, what, 40 years to kind of get some heart issues and things sorted out, brings him back into Egypt to let my people go, and Moses is obedient to God, even though he's like, man, God, you must have got the wrong guy. I can't speak. I can't do anything. I'm stutter and everything else. And God gives him Aaron and all these incredible things. The point being is God had made promises. Do you know that God had prophesied that they would be 400 years in Egypt? He said that to Abraham. So here's the plan. And 400 years went by. And Moses led the people of God out of Egypt. Now this is the cool thing. And we would love this if you're into signs and wonders. How did they know God was with them? Do you remember what took place as they came out of Egypt? During the day there was a cloud. Marley knows her Old Testament. Way to go, Marley. And at night there was fire. So a pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. And they knew God was 
with them because he was with his people. And he wanted to take them to the promised land, which again was another prophetic picture of people being in the land and God being with his people. And we see God brings them out through the Red Sea. They get on their way to the promised land. And again, there's sin and all kinds of different things that happen. But God manifested his presence with them in a physical, tangible way. Clouds and fire. And see if I can find the next verse. We read this in Exodus 20 about Moses. It says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning, does that sound familiar just from our last song? And the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, okay? And we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. And the people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And Moses was a friend of God. And it says that Moses met with God like a man face to face. Smoke, lightning, mountains, trembling, earthquakes, all those things. God was in the midst. And for those of us who say, man, if I just knew God was here, if I just had a sign, man, if smoke here right now, fire, I would believe. No, you wouldn't. You'd be scared to death and you'd be out of here so fast. <laughs> you wouldn't even have time to, pitch, to get your camera out to, photo, to put it on YouTube. You'd be out of here so fast. Because God Almighty was in the midst of his people. But Moses knew God. And Moses would go into the darkness and the thickness and smoke. And he'd say, guys, God's good. Yes, he's holy, he's mighty. Fear, because he's a holy God. He's set apart. But Moses met with God. And God made and established promises and covenants to Moses as well. He said, Moses, I want to be with my people. Here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to make a tent. Actually, I kind of want you to make a tent within a tent. It gets kind of confusing when you read it. Because I want you to make this tent called the tent of meeting, but then I want you to put a curtain in the middle and another tent inside. And inside the tent, which is inside the tent, I want you to put a box. And the box is called the Ark of the Covenant. And anyone who grew up in the 80s, Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's what we're talking about. And a whole generation that just went... (laughs) I won't even do the theme song, because half of you won't even know what I'm talking about, okay? Julia's going like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. (laughs) Movie, 80s, Raiders of the Lost Ark, about the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, you can Google it afterwards, okay? God, put the Ten Commandments, in this ark, okay? And he said, that's like my presence. And you need to put it in a tent, which is like the Holy of Holies. You need to put a curtain before it, so that on the other side of the tent, and then the courtyard. And it says then, if you wanted to meet with God, you went to the tent of meeting. And Joshua and Moses would go to the tent of meeting, okay? And they would come out, and their faces, like, would glow. And Joshua sometimes didn't even come back. He would go with Moses. It says, Moses came out, and Joshua just stayed, (laughs) And you want to stay in the presence of God. God was in the midst. And we see as the people moved, okay, when God began to move, the tent moved and the people moved. And God said this to Moses, okay? I want you to lead my people and I want you to do all these things. And you can read about it, okay, in Exodus 33. And Moses got it. Because this was the heart cry of Moses. Moses saying, 
God, you called me to lead these people. And man, what a people. They're your people. Okay, because of all their rebellion and everything else. And Moses said, but God, here's the deal. Okay? If you don't go with us, if your presence doesn't go with us, God, we're not going. And he pleaded with God and he said, God, your presence is the only thing that distinguishes us from every other people group on planet Earth. And if you don't go with us, God, your promises won't be fulfilled. What will other people say about where's the God of the Israelites? And he pleaded with God, God, if your presence doesn't go, God, we need your presence. And God honored that and answered that and said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And we see that's what God did. He was with his people. And we see all the ups and downs. You can go through all the different books, reading about history from Moses all the way through and kings and different things and judges and how they were up and down and all around because some of them followed God and some, the ark even got stolen and taken. I mean, it was just like incredible. But then a guy named David, you might have heard of David. We just read Jesus, Joseph, son of David. And God raises up another leader, a man after God's own heart. And David knew about the presence of God as well. He, read, he wrote a lot of the Psalms that we read, all about the presence. And we read Psalms like this. It's like, God, I thirst for you in your presence like a deer pants for the water. Okay? And if you've ever been thirsty, you know how you know, thirst, you're just like, man, just give me something to drink. And David's saying, that's what it's like to thirst and to seek God in God's presence. Because if God's presence isn't there, we're going to die. And God raised up David. And David began to realize Okay, man, I'm a king, I live in a palace, and God's still stuck in a tent. And he's like, that's not right. What's God doing in a tent? And God put in his heart to build a temple, the best temple, the best building for God to dwell in. And God said, that's okay, David, I appreciate your heart. I'm actually going to raise up your son Solomon, and he's going to do it for you. And he gave specific instructions. Instead of a tent, within a tent, and a curtain, and a box, and the ark, it was a big building, temple, stones, with rooms, and rooms within a room, and the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, and then a big curtain, and then places where other people couldn't go, and a courtyard, and another courtyard, and there was all these things that you had to do to be able to get into the place. And we read this, when Solomon dedicated the temple. We read this from 1 Kings 6-11. to So they built this thing, and then they prayed for God's presence to come. It says, And the priest brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place, underneath the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread out their wings over the place of the Ark, so the cherubim overshadowed the Ark and its poles. There was nothing in the Ark except the two tablets of stone that Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And it says they were like flat on their face. Because the presence of Almighty God filled the temple. Okay? And I think that's where the phrase, God is in the house, originated. And Solomon knew, and the people of God knew, the presence of Almighty God is there. And it affected them. It was tangible. It was visible. It was awe-inspiring. It was holy and powerful. 
presence of God. Now the people of God took the presence of God, okay? and you can read the history, they took it for granted. They're like, well, God's in this temple, and as long as God's in the temple, we can do whatever we want, and God's got our back, so eat, drink, and be merry, and we don't really have to follow God. And you can see the history of them not obeying God, and they didn't cherish or honor or protect the presence of God. Okay? And God's secure. Okay? God's secure in himself. They're like, they'll never destroy the temple because, you know, God, that's where God lives, and that would never happen. God's secure, okay? God knows he's not just limited to a house made by men. Okay? He rules the heavens. And God allowed his temple to be destroyed in order to get the attention of his people. Okay, and we read about it. Remember when we did Daniel last year, about how the Babylonians came, they destroyed the temple, and people couldn't believe that. And they went into captivity again, but God gave them promises that he was going to bring them back, and there was going to be a new temple, and all these different things. But here's the sad thing. Okay. Another 400 years happened. Okay. And I just find this really incredible when you read the last chapter of the Old Testament. Okay. From all of that happening, 400 years went by when it wasn't evident that God's presence was there. Okay. Now, folks, we don't understand the magnitude of that. But if you were a Jew and you knew your history, and you knew that God's presence came to Abraham, to Moses, to David, to Solomon. And then it was like God was silent. And the temple was destroyed. And never quite got back to where they wanted it to be. And they got off track. The saddest thing is this. They went 400 years without the presence of God. That's horrible thinking about that this week. I was like, God, if I didn't have your presence, okay, where would I be? Can you imagine 400 years okay, stirring? Okay, like, and we just talking about it, 400 years without the presence of God. Knowing what they used to have. Remember when God came, Solomon's temple, the cloud, glory, God's blessing, God's favor, God was with us. 400 years without the presence of God. And God not speaking. God not manifesting his presence. Yes, God is everywhere, absolutely. But his manifest, realized presence that he's with his people was missing. And folks, that's the background to Matthew chapter 1. And we read it at Christmas and we just zip right through it. And Matthew's going, this is how it came about. Okay? Jesus supernaturally, okay? There was a supernatural thing took place that God promised way back in Isaiah that one day the virgin will give birth. And we see the Holy Spirit come upon Mary. Supernaturally, can't explain it. I mean, I got commentary after commentary. Half the commentary is just on the virgin birth and all the people have tried to disprove it and everything, okay? Folks, simply this. When you talk about supernatural God, anything can happen. So as soon as you say God's supernatural and God's beyond us, guess what? He can do whatever he wants. He made creation out of just like speaking. Okay? And the Holy Spirit came upon Mary. And Jesus was born like no other. 
was conceived like no other, was born like no other. Okay? D.A. Carson says this about Jesus' birth. Okay? He says, regarding the virgin conception and birth, Matthew is not vague about this unusual birth, as if Jesus was so wonderful, there must be a touch of the divine about him. But rather, Jesus is the promised Messiah of the line of David. He is Emmanuel, God with us, because his birth was the result of God's supernatural intervention, making Jesus God's very son. So 400 years, nothing. And then, Holy Spirit is everywhere. You can read the book of Luke even more about the Christmas story. Okay? The Holy Spirit. We've got angels speaking. We've got revelation. We've got the Holy Spirit doing all kinds of incredible things. God is at work. And there's a shaking and a stirring. Because Jesus has been born. And Jesus is the promised Messiah. The King who has come to save His people from their sin. And we're not just saved from sin, which is incredible in itself, as already has been expressed this morning. We're saved from the power, and that partition is removed, and the penalties paid, and the pollution of sin gets cleaned up, so that we can be with God. That we can know God. That God's presence can be with us, individually and with His people. That's the magnitude of quoting one scripture from the Old Testament in Isaiah 714, saying, He will be Emmanuel, God with us. This is what it says in John chapter 1, verse 14. If you read there, ESV says, And the Word that's talking about Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, referring to Jesus. I like the message. It says this, And the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. That Jesus came. And that same word for tabernacle, for temple, Jesus tabernacled amongst us. God, he didn't send just a messenger or an angel. God himself, second person of the Trinity, born here on planet Earth. God dwelt among us. His presence was among us. No wonder people like, began to whisper, is this, is this the one that was promised? Is this really him? Is this a fake? Is this really it? Okay, and Jesus began to call disciples. And Jesus began to teach and say, the Father's like this. And I'm entering, bringing about his kingdom. Okay, and he began to teach. And people were like, man, we've never heard teaching like this. And what authority? He speaks as if he's speaking just like God. And Jesus began to forgive people. And like, who can forgive people? Only God can forgive people. Is he really like God or is he a fake? Okay? And he'd do miracles, and people were healed. People were like, man, if this is a fake, what a fake? Who can, a fake couldn't do miracles. And they began, word, who is this guy? And it was incredible. And he raised the dead. And he began to let them in on God's plan. And as amazing as that was, you can imagine being with Jesus for three years and seeing him multiply you know, food. Can you imagine being in a storm, and you think, I'm going to die. And they were terrified, and Jesus is asleep. And it's like, Jesus, like, wake up, dude, we're going to drown. And Jesus gets up, and he rebukes the wind and the waves. And it's like, still, and they're just like, they were more terrified after Jesus did that than before when they were in the storm. Okay? They were really scared that they're going to die. Jesus does it, and then they're even more terrified. Who is this guy? So you can imagine the shock when Jesus said this. Okay, guys, here's the deal. I've been with you for three years. 
and I know what's coming, and I've got to drink the cup, and I need to go to the cross, and actually it's better that I go, um, so I'm leaving you. And they're just like, what are you talking about? And they're like, wait, 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 wait. And Philip Cohen's like, okay, Jesus, if you just show us the Father, okay, because if you're going to go, I need to know who. And Jesus is saying, like, oh, Philip, man, like, you've seen the Father, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he says, better that you go. Better that I go, because I'm going to send another just like me. We read this in John chapter 14, as Jesus says this. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is, sorry, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we, what a great Trinitarian verse, Father, Son, Spirit, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And Jesus is saying, it gets even better. Okay? I've been God here, Emmanuel, God with you, So I've been God present with you in a human body, living with you, and you've seen all the marks of God himself without the clouds and the fire and everything. He controls the clouds and the mountains and the fire. And he says this, the good news is this, I'm going, but I'm going to send another, and if you love me and you obey me and you put your trust in me, we are going to come and live in you. And Jesus makes this radical shift from going to the temple, and we're going to go to the temple because that's where God dwells, to Jesus saying, I am the temple. And then going and making sacrifices to the priests and everything. Because you've got to remember Old Testament, right? Okay? Remember all those courtyards and all that? Okay? If you were a Gentile, you weren't a Jew, man, you're way out. Okay? And if you're a woman, you only got this far. And if you're a man, you got this far. And if you were part of the priests, which is one tribe out of 12, you got to go this far. But out of the priests, there was one called the high priest who one day a year got to go into the Holy of Holies beyond the curtain. And Jesus is now saying something very radical. He's saying, I'm the temple. He's also saying, I'm going to be the sacrifice. And guess what? He's also the high priest. And from that system of temple and sacrifices and priests and all that, Jesus is saying, I'm all those things. I've come to fulfill all that. Now you come to me. And the disciples were confused. And Jesus went to the cross a few days later. And as he died on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sin. There's got to be consequences. Remember Adam and Eve? There were consequences for disobeying God. And Jesus took those consequences for them, for us. And he nailed them to the cross. And he became sin for us. Okay? He broke the power of sin. He broke the power of sin. He breaks the addiction and the power of sin and the strongholds over us. That was accomplished on the cross. He removed the barrier. He removed the partition. And as we said this morning, he doesn't just remove the partition so we, we can say, God, we love you as our creator. No, he takes it even further. He adopts us. And just as Jesus was born and conceived by the Holy Spirit, so too are we, okay, born of the Spirit of the living God into a new creation, which is now supernatural. He does it so that we can know the presence of God. That God can dwell with his people once again. 
as God's done that, as he, Jesus returned, okay, he was resurrected, he defeated sin and death, he went back to his Father in heaven, and as the disciples were waiting, not quite sure what was going to happen on Acts chapter 2, Pentecost Sunday, okay, look out, the Spirit of God came, and it was like tongues of fire. Sound familiar? And they were each individually filled. And instead of all of them having to follow physical Jesus around, each one of them now, what did they become? They were like mobile temples of the Holy Spirit. And now instead of just following physically Jesus, they could go everywhere. And Jesus, okay, he said, I'll send another one just like me, the comforter, the counselor. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes along. You'll be my witnesses. And something radically changed that we don't have a physical temple anymore. So our church buildings, you know what, to be honest, they're not very holy. Okay? People are going to be in here tomorrow morning for class, and they're not going to think this is a holy place. Okay. What makes this a holy place? We're here. And God lives in us, individually and corporately. Guess what? You're now the temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells among us. Just a couple of verses from the New Testament just illustrate this. Paul writes 1 Corinthians 3.16, he says, Do you not know that, sorry, do you not know that you, and he's saying plural, are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Do you realize that? He also says this to the Ephesians, he says, So then you who are no longer stranger and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him, in Jesus, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Woo! That is good news. Not only does Jesus now save us, he brings us so that we can call God our Father. And as we, Paul illustrates all through the epistles, now the love of the Father is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And folks, we can be like Adam and Eve before sin. We can walk with God. We can hear God's voice. So when we come together corporately, okay, when you come together as your life groups, when you come together as a youth group and kids' church, okay, individually, yes, but when we come together for everything, do you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you know that you're the body of Christ, that God's Spirit is there? He's dwelling with His people. And when God dwells with His people, folks, that's the most exciting place on planet Earth. So it should be that just like Jesus in the New Testament, wherever he was, the disciples didn't know what he was going to do. It should be, when we gather as the church, in your life groups, in every aspect, there should be a part that you're just not quite sure what's going to happen because Jesus is with his people. And we say that about our corporate gatherings, okay? Yes, we have some structure and all those things, the whole other talk. But there should be an element, every time we gather together, every Sunday, every prayer meeting, there should be an element where you're going like, I don't know what's going to happen stir you and I provoke you okay, in your small groups at life group. Okay? I know you're tired when you get there and all the different things, but can you just remember this? We are gathering as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? I'm just not quite sure what God might do tonight. Because God's presence is among us. And we read in Revelation this. This is how it's going to end as well. 
read in the last book of the Bible, at the very, one of the last chapters, John had a vision. And as God was speaking to him, he said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, isn't this wonderful? The dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Folks, okay, the opposite of that, okay, is hell. And there's lots of things we can talk about hell, but this is, has got to be one of the main ones, okay? The presence of God won't be there. Okay? So we can talk about lots of different things about hell, okay? The main thing is this. Presence of God will not be there. I say that again. The presence of God will not be there. My challenge to you this morning, my question to you this morning is in this great big picture, okay, painting a big picture here this morning Genesis to Revelation, Jesus, hmm, stake in the ground in all of history that changed it. Jesus, who will save his people from their sins, and Emmanuel, God, with us. Okay. The question is this morning, where do you fit into this story? Okay. That's not just a made-up story. This is reality, present day. So my question to you this morning is this. Where do you fit in this story? As one by the grace of God, who's been saved through Jesus Christ, okay, and has tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and has experienced the manifest presence of of God. Can't imagine living without God. Can't imagine living without God, without the presence of God. And the good news this morning is this. And Joel's already said it in the middle of worship. Okay? If you don't know Jesus this morning, you don't know this God that we've been talking about this morning, you have opportunity to be able to respond and learn more about Jesus, to learn more about salvation what he's done for us. Okay? And you can be adopted into God's family. Where you don't have to just think of God as creator. You can actually call him father. That God Almighty will put his spirit in you so that it comes true when Jesus said, I'm going back, but don't worry, folks. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I won't leave you as orphans. I will always be with you. How is that possible? By his Holy Spirit. And maybe you're a Christian this morning, a follower of Jesus, but maybe you've just forgotten the big picture. Maybe you've forgotten that individually, you know what? God loves you, but God wants to dwell with you. And he wants to walk with you, and he wants to talk with you. And he wants, okay, for you to know him more, and he wants to know you more. And maybe we sometimes forget, folks, as a church, every time we meet together, corporately, big group, small group, two or three, Jesus said, are gathered, I'm there. But maybe we just need a reminder to value and to honor and to cherish and to be aware of the presence of Almighty God. And I hope you understand, even from this morning, why we worship the way we do, why we do the things that we do. Because we 
value and we want to honor and cherish the presence of God. Knowing that it's not in a temple anymore. It doesn't matter what room we meet in. It's us as we meet together. Okay, so I'm going to ask Angela and the team to come. We're just going to respond okay, in our worship to God. Okay, but remember my question to you this morning. Okay, where do you fit into this big picture of God wanting to dwell with his people? Of you being able to experience the manifest presence of God Almighty. Okay, if you're able, let's stand together.